Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Uh, so we're walking into a bodega to ask a really, really deep and important question. Excuse me. Do you carry grape drink? Grape drink? Yes, well, just grape. Yeah. We got it. Well, no, 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 no. Not grape juice. Like the drink. Like grape drink? You say? I'm sorry. No, we carry only juice. Grape juice. Nigga, what the fuck is juice? <laughs> I want some grape drink, baby. Oh, mm, it's purple. From Gimlet Media, this is the Nod. I'm Eric Eddings. And I am Brittany Luce. Okay, Brittany, do you remember the classic Dave Chappelle drink and juice spit? Yeah, everybody remembers that. So in that bit, he starts off talking about how, like, white people try to make fun of black people because they love, like, watermelon and chicken. But then he goes and you make fun of somebody for like those are two of the best foods. Exactly. Whatever. And so then he talks about how, you know, he was like hanging out with white people. Well, one, he's studying white people. And while he was with one, they offered him some some grape juice. And he's like, what the fuck is juice? Mm-mm. I want some drink. Mm-mm. Some grape drink. Remember that commercial for Sunny Delight when all the kids run in from outside playing and they all run to the fridge? <sighs> all right. I got some purple stuff, some Sunny D. As soon as you say Sunny D, all the kids go, yeah! Watch the black kid in the back. If you ever see that commercial again, look at that black kid. He'd be like, I want that purple stuff. That's drink, nigga. That is drink. They want... They want drink. They want all them vitamins, nigga. I want drink. Sugar, water, purple. That's the ingredient, sugar, water, and of course, purple. When I listen to this, this clip, like, a part of me, like, shrinks a little bit. And, but I, but it, I bloom. <laughs> I feel the opposite <laughs> way. I'm blooming right now. But, like, you know, th- a little bit of that is a little bit of a stereotype, mm-hmm. you know? But for me, I've always felt like there is stronger than a hint of truth <laughs> something like that, you know? Growing up, we drank we drank a lot of purple drink. Mm-hmm. Just if I'm being straight up. You know, we go to the gas station or like to the candy lady. We had like a candy lady yeah, in our neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, in your neighborhood? I only have one in my church. So we would go to the candy lady and she would sell like the hugs. Yes. I I think my mom like, had a thing against me drinking soda. This is so 90s. She had a thing against me drinking soda, but for some reason, I was allowed to, like, get little hugs. Like I, We didn't call them that. It was, like, something else. I can't think of like what. Like quarter water? Quarter water, yeah. And it, like, came in a little plastic 
thing with the foil top. Yeah. That was supposed to imitate either like, like a, I guess like, like a barrel. Yeah, or it was like a barrel. Because that's a, or that's a thing like that. you drink liquids from. Exactly. As a child. Um, but yeah, no, that was like the healthy alternative <laughs> to me getting like soda. Which is amazing because it's not the healthy alternative. No, it's not. And like a part of me feels like kind of weird about that because like sugary sodas are like marketed to black folks. Yeah. Like it does happen. Yeah. But they're also good. They're delicious. They are very tasty. And like grape or purple specifically mm-hmm. was always like my my favorite flavor. Like I actually I actually still love grape flavor. I believe that. Actually, the other day I happened to get like a craving for something purple. You know, I just need a little little fix. It's better than sometimes it's better than like coffee, like a midday coffee. Oh, okay. Where did you go? Well, that's the thing. I'm like. <laughs> But we work near a Whole Foods, so I got questions. Well, yes. It turns out it's really hard to find hugs in the very nice, very white part of Brooklyn where our offices are. So that's actually what you heard at the top of the show, my unsuccessful attempt to find purple stuff Mm. at our neighborhood bodega. Mm -hmm. And I actually went there with Chindrai Kuminika. He is hosting an upcoming Gimlet podcast. Yes. And even though we were unable to find the liquid gold we were looking for. (laughs) The trip, it wasn't a total bust because during our walk, we were able to compare notes on our respective grape drink experiences. And Chindrai told me that he had also seen the power of the purple stuff. When I was in Philly and I worked in this bodega and I saw, you know, I mean, like almost all of our clientele were black. It was a black neighborhood at 21st and Fitzwater when that was still a black neighborhood because it's not anymore. And there wasn't really any grocery store near there and folks came in, and their, the beverages for them was like quarter waters. I mean, it, we had juice, yeah. <laughs> but you know, the juice wasn't flying off what, the shelves. Yeah, it wasn't what you reached for. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Nobody was reaching for the juice. I mean, like Gatorade, maybe. It's crazy. Even like for me, even with Gatorade, my favorite flavor is grape. <laughs> <laughs> the grape. It's something about the grape, though, right? Yeah. It's just it's in my genes. So yeah, I mean, as you mentioned. Our neighborhood is white as hell, so we couldn't find any yeah. quarter waters or, or grape drink, sadly. But we went back to the drink aisle for the next best thing. Welch grape soda. And I think in a pinch, would you say that, like, but grape sparkling. soda is closer to, like, what the drink that we would like as opposed to grape juice? It's yeah. like always yeah, soda it is. over yeah, juice. Yeah, it's right? always soda over juice, for sure. Yeah. yeah, it is. Do you know why? It's always soda over juice or drink over juice? Um, It tastes better. It does taste better. But it's because purple drink and grape soda both have something very important in common. That delicious fake grape flavor. And I was really curious about fake grape things, so I did a little digging. And this is actually what I want to get into today. I want to get into purple stuff. Okay. I want to take you on a journey of discovery for why it holds such a special place in our hearts. This journey is going to involve a little bit of science and a little bit of history. And to start, we need to do a little taste test. So, to demonstrate the thing that artificial grape things or purple stuff have in common, I've got something for you. Are oh you excited? Do you, have, do you have a drink for me? I have got... Oh, my God! <laughs> A lovely assortment oh of my God. purple things. Thank you, God. Thank we you, have, God. This is so exciting. We have our uh, our purple Skittles. Let me see that. Skittles. 
Purple Jolly Ranchers. Okay, all right. We've got some Grape Gatorade. And then you have your classic grape soda. Okay. And lastly, we have some Arizona Grape Aid. Okay, so what's going to happen? All right, so we're going to just taste some, taste some purple. Taste some purple stuff. And I just want to get a feel for, like... My thoughts. For, yeah, for what you like. Can I eat a Skittle? Yeah, eat a Skittle. Uh, let's go with some grape drinks. So like, there's a process to this. You know, there's a way to appreciate the things I've laid out for you. You know, just like with wine, you have to get the the aroma, like of this Jolly Rancher. Just smell it. I Jolly Rancher's on the low... One of my favorite candies. I'm not going to eat it yet. Yeah, as I said, before you eat that, why don't you just try try One, try the Gatorade. Like like the sommeliers, they recommend you swirl it around in your mouth to to aerate it. Thank you. (laughs) It is refreshing. It's good, right? Contrast that with this uh, lovely classic grape soda. I'll say this. Now that I smell two grape things in a row, something about grape don't smell right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's delicious. What does that do? Grape soda. I'm about to have some for myself. Delicious. All right, so here we go. Here is the grape aid. I want... They all have the same funny smell. Hmm. Hmm. Ooh. All can right. I eat the Jolly Rancher? Yeah, go for it. I feel like a teenager right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's good, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you notice about all these things? They have the same, like, essential flavor. Mm-hmm. Like, they taste similar, but they all the smell to me is actually even more distinct. They all smelled the same. It was so weird. It's interesting that you say that. Because like when I started going down this rabbit hole and like looking at the phenomenon of purple stuff, mm-hmm. like the thing that really jumped out at me is that all grape flavored things have one thing in common. And it's that they all contain this chemical compound that, if I'm being honest, is very much a mouthful. Methyl anthranolate. So let me try to say that. Methyl, like methyl anthranolate? Is that right? Methyl anthranolate. Anthranolate. Okay. Gotcha. That is Nadia Bernstein. She is a historian of science and technology. And the thing that she focuses on in her research is artificial flavor. These like much reviled molecules, like the artificial flavors that you actually see less and less on packaged food these days because they've gotten this bad reputation. All natural is now the thing, right? Right. When people ask me, um, oh, so are you like against or for artificial flavors? Like I'm I usually say that I'm a maximalist. Like <laughs> I want there to be like more kinds of strawberries and more kinds of fake strawberry. Yeah. Like, I want there to be, like, more of everything. So when it comes to artificial grape flavoring, which is the backbone of purple stuff, Mm. Nadia is the expert. So she told me the story of how fake grape came to be. Uh And it all starts with a smell. And stick with me here because you're going to have to follow a few steps to get back to purple stuff. Okay. Okay, so the smell. Uh Orange blossoms. You know orange blossoms? Like the flower. Yes, They give off this smell. People love it. Okay, I believe that. Okay. And a long time ago, people started pulling the oil out of orange blossoms and making like an essential oil for it. Like an extract or something. Yes, Yeah. exactly. So that essential oil is called neroli, okay? Oh, that's like, it it comes in like perfume. Yes. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Gotcha, gotcha. It's using perfumes and stuff. But the thing is, orange blossoms aren't 
super easy to like get the oil from. So people started looking for a way to make the same smell, that Neroli smell, some other way. So if you were a perfumer in the 19th century, because you could be a perfumer in the 19th century, being able to like make synthetic Neroli would be so much easier than like harvesting it from plants. Yeah. But in order to make it, you first got to figure out what it actually is. And sometime in the 1890s, the key component of neroli was identified. So somewhere in Europe, an essential oil firm which sells neroli to like perfumers and makes perfume itself, analyzes neroli and finds out that a lot of neroli is actually this chemical methylanthranolate. Mm. So they synthesize it basically from byproducts of the main fuel source of industrialization, which is which is in the 19th century coal. Wait, so, okay, sorry. The, and, and, and feel like, just help me break this down because I'm, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, I'm stupid. And I hear, you know, coal and, like, things that we use to, like, are close to, like, fuel. Oh, yeah, well, so one of the things that's sort of disconcerting about chemistry in general, I mean, chemistry <laughs> is about transformations, right? Mm-hmm. So the product that you end up with came from a place, but its atoms have been rearranged in numerous ways. So it's no longer equivalent to the material that you started with. It literally becomes a different thing. So while it starts out as coal, like functionally what you end up with... Is a diamond. Is, is No, it's not a diamond in this particular <laughs> case. It is a thing that is edible. Okay, so basically what you've told me is that the essential oil, like, that comes from orange blossoms is called neroli. And neroli is made up of this chemical compound called methyl anthranolate. And, like, 100 years ago, some people figured out how to, like, synthesize methyl anthranolate from other things. Yes. But that doesn't actually explain how you go from, like, methyl anthranolate to our grape stuff. Right. And that all starts with this one flavor manufacturing company. In my journeys through the archives, I found this really interesting story about the history of a company called Herdy Peck, which was like a major beverage flavor manufacturer. So this is like a like a like a PepsiCo or like Coca-Cola before. Oh no, no. so flavor companies are usually like we know PepsiCo. Like, we know Coca-Cola. We know, like, Mm Frito-Lay and General Mills, right? But the companies that make flavors, even though they're so important to the taste of the things that we eat, most of us don't know their names. So, like, the major ones now are Givadon, Firminich, International Flavors and Fragrances. Yeah, none of these ring a bell. (laughs) Right, totally. And so, Herdy Peck was one of these companies back in, like, the beginning of the 20th century. So Herdy Peck's founder was this guy named Gilbert Herdy. And Gilbert Herdy was kind of like a creep. You'll understand (laughs) why in like one second. So sometime in the early 19-teens, Gilbert Herdy was riding on this streetcar in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. This woman is standing in front of him, and he gets the whiff of her perfume. And it smells just like Concord grapes. So just picture standing on a streetcar. Standing on subway, you know, for using mm-hmm. today's language, and getting so close that you can you get a whiff of somebody's perfume, and you kind of linger in that moment. You know what? I've done that. 
You've done that actually? I'm a so creep. you're a creep too. Yeah, I'm a creep too. <laughs> so that smell reminded him of Concord grapes. I mean, I have to say the guy had to be pretty professionally astute. Do you know what I mean? To, to be able to be on a streetcar. Because back then, like, people didn't have good, like, waste removal or anything like that. Yeah. Probably smelled like a whole bunch of other shit out there. A little in musty. Yeah. And he smelled this thing and was just like, grapes. It makes, like, this makes me really want to smell an orange blossom now. So I can be like, so I can look for the notes of grapes. So, okay. Well, actually, since you wish that you could smell oh my God, these things. This is so exciting. We've prepared something for you. Like, price is right. <laughs> I love it. So right here, we have, uh, I've prepared a little mixture. I don't know you prepared I don't it? Think you the chemist? Well, uh, no. Uh, with help from, you know, my awesome chemist and uh, flavor. Our senior producer? Yes. Flavor. I trust I trust Technician. Her. Senior producer, Sarah Abdurrahman. So we got some of the pure chemical grade <laughs> Neroli. And remember that Neroli has the methyl anthranolate in it, the thing that makes up all our grape flavor. This is so scientific. I I feel like I'm on Bill Nye. This is amazing. (laughs) So you have to like seriously dilute it because it's so so strong. Wow. So what I'm holding here is a small snack-sized Tupperware container. Uh Uh-huh. And it's like filled halfway with oil uh-huh. and a few drops, just a few drops of Neroli. I'm gonna pop this open. Let me see it. And now you can take a take a get a whiff. I'm so excited. Oh wow. I've smelled this in perfume before. Like mm. a mean for sure. Like I now I'm even more amazed at this creepy guy, <laughs> this hurdy guy. For smelling this woman's neck and being like, this reminds me of grapes. So to to cleanse your um, smell palate. Okay. If you will. All right. That's a, that's the scientific term. Mm-hmm. Uh, smell some of these coffee beans we have here. Okay. Just refresh. So why don't you pick up the Neroli. Okay. And the grape drink and just smell them side by side. Okay, just smell the Neroli. Mm-hmm. Hold on, I'm about to. I'm about to smell the grape soda. That is, have you smelled this before? It's really interesting. Why is it interesting? Well, because the Neroli is so strong. Mm-hmm. And then I smelled the grape soda. And it's just, it's like a diluted, sweeter version. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it. It's just, it's different, but you can smell that they're cousins. Does yeah. that make sense? No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So Gilbert Hurdy smells this woman's perfume, and it reminds him of grapes. And so now he's got this idea. But first, he's got to figure out what it was that he smelled. And at the time, like the flavor manufacturers, they would shop in the same places that perfume manufacturers uh... would. Because scent is a big part. Of, of taste, exactly, yeah. Exactly, exactly. He writes to all of the essential oil firms and perfume perfume manufacturing firms trying to figure out what this chemical is and he finds he finds it that he finds out that it's methylanthranolate <laughs> um so he makes a grape flavor out of it so there it is the source of all our artificial grape flavor goodness who knows where we would be today if he hadn't just smelled that woman on streetcar though i don't recommend anybody else do that <laughs> no i don't <laughs> So, Gilbert Hurdy makes this grape flavor out of methyl and thranolate, and he sells them to beverage companies. And, like, after that, there is an explosion, a ton of new grape drinks that come out. 
Um, and this is like the early 1900s. Just like a grape fever in the early 1900s? Yes, grape fever. I never knew. <laughs> the drinks had like sexy names like Grapeco or Nehi Grape. Or <laughs> Nehi Grape. <laughs> Nehi Grape. Rolls off the tongue. Mm. Or Grapeola. That's a good one. That's a good one, right? That's solid. And so like all these grape sodas come out and they become huge. People uh-huh. are into them. Like you said, it's like a grape fever. And actually, Nadia showed me something that made me realize this connection between black folks and purple drinks may have been much older than we ever thought. So I'm going to play you a jingle for one of those early grape drinks, a soda called New Grape. I got a new grape, nice and fine. Three rings around the bottle is a ginger wine. I got your ice cold new grape. Catchy. It's catchy. Who are these people? So those are actually the New Grape twins. I think there's like six known things recorded by them. Mm-hmm. Four of them are hymns, um, and then two of them are about New Grape. So it's like <laughs> G- Jesus and Jingles, basically. It's yeah, like. exactly. <laughs> are they black? I was trying to—I mm-hmm. was—they are. Yeah, well, I found, like, a census record where they're listed from, like, the 1900 census. There's very little known about them. They're born in 1888. One of them might have worked at the New Grape Factory, which was in Atlanta. It's it's very funny. Like, using <laughs> black people and black music to sell stuff is not new. It kind of reminds me of, like, how people always use pop music to, like, sell soda and stuff like that now. Yeah, and so, like, when I heard this, I was like, oh, man, wait, they had black people singing jingles back then? Like, <laughs> it just didn't really it didn't I didn't really realize connect. how old that I didn't realize how old of a device that was. They talk about how, like, if you have a, if, you, if you're drinking genuine new grape, um, you can, like, romance your beau and she'll fall in love with you. Like, if you come home late, um, you can give your wife a new grape and she won't, like, beat you with a, um, she won't beat you with a pan, right? That, like, if you're feeling blue, drink a new grape and, like, it'll lift your spirits, right? Can grape juice do any of those things? I I don't think grape juice can do any of those things. So I guess I, I, all the things we're like built, like we're we're hinting around all this. Out. I'm, uh-huh. tr- I'm trying to get a handle on like grape drinks or grape, you know, sodas, like artificially grape flavored beverages, mm-hmm. uh, like their popularity. And like speaking like black folks specifically, like uh-huh. I grew up, you know, um, grape was my favorite flavor. Uh-huh. You, Jolly Ranchers, uh, you know, other types of candy, Skittles. Uh, But especially when it came to drink. And it wasn't just me. I'm not just this, like, grape freak. But, like, everybody seemed to be really into grape drink. Yeah. And I'm just curious, is there anything that, like, might hint at the popularity of that for, like, the black community? Yeah. Well, if I were to speculate, a lot of these grape sodas originate in the South, right? In the 19-teens and 1920s. Like, New Grape is in Atlanta, Nehi grape is also in Georgia. Grapeco, right, was in New Orleans and then Birmingham, Alabama. So I would say that it's like, if you think about 
African-American culture, like, is being kind of, like, defined in a sense by this, like, diaspora from the South, right, to Northern cities, then this is, like, one of the things that you carry with you, right, that is something that comes from, seems to come from a particular place, Mm -hmm. but yet is also available nationally. Like, and that's kind of, like, one of the strange comforts of industrialized food. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. As people, like, migrate throughout the country, you know, you you take your grape drink with you. Like, (laughs) you take your grape soda with you. That is, like, kind of heartwarming in a way. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times, like— I have a serious problem myself with, like, the demonization of certain foods. So it's kind of nice to hear that there's this possibility that grape drink, something that was kind of Southern, that is is something that Black people just liked, that, you know, has since traveled and become this thing that, like, lots of Black people like. Yeah. You hear about the grape migration, and you just hear, like, there was no opportunity in the South. Yeah. So, you know, hundreds of thousands of black <laughs> yeah. people, like, you know, trek to all these different cities like Chicago and New York or whatever. But, like, there's not really a lot of talk about the traditions that they took with them, mm-hmm. you know? Folks like different things, and if they were moving to a new area, yeah. like, they wanted the same things that they liked when they were at home. Yeah. It made a lot of sense that, like, yeah, you know, when I, when I like, lived in the South, I was really into grape soda, and, you know, once I got to Detroit, guess mm-hmm. what? I'm still really into grape soda. Yeah. <laughs> and I want some of that. Learning all this, it makes you feel better about, like, what people will often shame. It's nice. It is nice. It makes me feel now for that little boy in the Sunny D commercial <laughs> that Dave Chappelle was talking about. He's just he's just in another one of us in, in the great line of history carrying the torch forward. We saw that purple stuff. Yeah. And went, ooh. It was deep. Like, he felt it deep. He was tapping into the ancestors, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. What that make your lips go flippy to flopper when you drink a new grape? You don't know when to stop. I got your eyes cold new grape. I thought you said grape migration. We should just we call, should this, call the episode this, that. We should call the, the grape migration. But don't do that because then it gives it away. Oh, right, right, right. Damn, that's good, though. After the break, I will tell Eric about a moment in Black history that he will never forget. It involves some peanut butter, a cowboy hat, and just a little bit of urine. Welcome back. Welcome back. Eric. Yes. Do you know what it's time for? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. (laughs) Peanut butter history. George Washington Carver was the wizard of the soil. Using science, he helped feed the peoples of the world. George Washington Carver was the most well-known African-American of his day. George Washington Carver is famous for his work with peanuts. During his lifetime, Carver extracted more than 300 products from the peanut. There is one product that many mistakenly attribute to him. Peanut butter. Okay, so this is our very first peanut butter 
history. Eric, explain to the people what it's all about. Peanut Butter History is our loving tribute to George Washington Carver and our not loving tribute to the fact that he is basically the only Black person who ever gets talked about when it comes to Black history. So, Peanut Butter History is our attempt to balance things out, to even out the scales. So I'm going to pick someone just as important as George Washington Carver, and I'm going to tell one of my favorite stories about them in four minutes or less. I'm going to do it while eating. Okay, so today I am eating spoonfuls of peanut butter and, like, not, like, you know, the organic kind. Of course not. No, not that, not that. Um, I'm having, like, the, you know, the kind that's, like, full of, like, sugar and palm oil and salt. All right, so my first peanut butter history pick is Florence Kennedy. All right, well, go ahead and grab a nice big spoonful. Okay, so I'm opening up, opening up the jar. There we go. So mix that up. All right. Okay. And I am going to swallow. This is this is already so daunting. My first, oh, I'm going to swallow my first spoonful. Okay. That's a, ooh. Okay. Oh, my God. I've got this timer ready. Ready? Okay. Set. Oh. <laughs> Go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Florence Kennedy was a black feminist activist. And she honestly should be more widely known because she was an incredible force in civil rights activism. Mm. I mean, just to give you, like, a picture of Florence, she often wore a cowboy hat and boots, kind of like a cowboy for social justice, if you will. Cowboy for social justice. Yes, she was a black feminist fighting for racial and social justice. Mm-hmm. She fought for abortion rights, and she represented the Black Panthers, mm-hmm. and she founded the National Organization for Women and the Feminist Party. Wow. All in the 60s, okay? This is, I, I legitimately knew none of this, <laughs> sadly. Okay. So, she also did a lot of work organizing on college campuses, okay? Working mm-hmm. with students, especially young women of color. And one of my favorite examples— you just, just for the record, you've got three minutes. Okay. Okay. You can do it. Come on. I believe in you. <laughs> oh, this is so gross. But one of my favorite examples of Florence's fiery approach to activism yes. was in 1973. Florence and a small group of fellow protesters staged a PN. Wait, what? Wait, what? <laughs> Say, <laughs> Say it again, though. A PN at Harvard University. PN. I'm, I'm dying to hear this story. Please. Oh, okay. <laughs> so let me explain. By, by the way, you're only three spoonfuls in, so let's just get some more peanut butter on there. There you go. So I hate you so much. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Harvard University, the place was basically built with only men in mind. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. As, so, as most places are. As most places are. The school barely had any women's restrooms. Like, one building, Lowell Hall, where a lot of women took their exams, had one bathroom. Okay. Uh-huh. And guess who it was for? Men. Men only. Okay. So the women taking exams in that building, they had to either hold in their pee for hours 
or go across the street during an exam just to go to the bathroom. Damn patriarchy, man. So Florence gathered a group of women to organize a protest, but not just any type of protest. To organize a PM. Like on like on like, the ground. In a second, in a second. <laughs> so what happens is this group of women arrives in front of the hall with no women's bathrooms, right? Uh-huh. They're holding up signs like, to pee or not to pee, that is the question. That's the question. All right. So during, during the protest, Florence gave this impassioned speech, and she was really just, like, driving home the point that the lack of bathrooms wasn't just about people running out of places to pee. It was about the institutionalized hey. inequality hey. embedded embedded in the Harvard community. Gotta you know, root that shit out. So at the protest... Well, you just got one minute, by the way, but you could do this. Honor this woman's legacy. Okay. So at the protest, every woman was carrying a jar of symbolic fake pee. And mm. they took turns pouring one out on the building with no women's restroom. So they took the jars of fake piss and poured them all over the yard. Wow. Imagine seeing that. No, no. There was one student, she was like, why aren't you guys throwing out real pee? Like, we're not hardcore <laughs> enough. And she started to say, you know what we need to do is pee right here on the floor like everybody. So Florence was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> chill, chill, fam. She was like, you need to call the crowd down. So she sent a message straight to the dean of Harvard. She said, look, if Harvard didn't open the bathroom for the women in that building next year, she and the girls were going to come back to do the real thing. And I mean, hey. I love this woman. You know what I'm saying? She yeah. knows how to organize, and she definitely knew how to protest. She does. I also got to say, you made it in time. By like, literally, by a hair. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to wanna throw out there for Florence? You can you can say it if you take another spoonful. Just one. You're almost there. Might as well. Mm-hmm. I got one more thing. <laughs> Let's go. So I think that this quote from Florence herself just like really sums up the type of person that she was. I'm just a loud mouth, middle aged colored lady with a fused spine and three feet of intestine missing. And a lot of people think I'm crazy, and maybe you do too. But I never stopped to wonder why I'm not like other people. The mystery to me is why more people. Aren't like me. Wow. Florence Kennedy. That your man, your delivery of that quote alone honors her memory so much. <laughs> what can I say? Your mouth also looks disgusting. It <laughs> Just feels <kinda>. worse. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note. Florence Kennedy. Yes. Welcome to the, the Peanut, Peanut Butter, Butter Pantheon. Pantheon. Like the very last bite I had to spit up. I don't feel right. I don't feel great. The Nye is produced by me, Brittany Luce, with Eric Eddings, Kate Parkinson-Morgan, and James T. Green. 
Our senior producer is Sarah Abdurrahman. We are edited by Annie Rose Strasser with editing help this week from Blythe Terrell. Engineering from Cedric Wilson and Haley Shaw. Our theme music is by Khalid B. Additional music in the show by Haley Shaw and Talkstar. Thanks to Chindrai Kuminika for joining me on my quest for purple drink. The trailer for Chindrai's new Gimlet show, Uncivil, just dropped. Go check it out. Seriously, it's really good. Look for Uncivil on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We're going to be off next week to report some new shows for you, but you should still come back to the feed in case we drop some bonus stuff. I don't know. You got to stick around. Check it out. And if you need more of a nod fix before then, you should definitely sign up for our newsletter. Go to gimletmedia.com newsletter to find out how. Till next time, y'all.